Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Before I dismiss the children, I would like to just um, mention that I know every uh, Sundays we enjoy the flowers. These last uh, years that people have provided for us, and uh, this is Tia Potts last Sunday with us. Her house was closed, and she's going to be moving back to Indiana to be with Ken. And for uh, some time now, Tia has been providing our flowers for us on uh, Sunday mornings, and so we pray God's blessing on her and thank her for her love of uh, ministry and service by uh, sharing that with us as a congregation. So I'm going to have to rely on my magic clicker back there today to help me out, okay? You may have to help me out, Nathan. All right. So, anybody got my magic clicker? Anybody? No? Okay, Gary's going to go find it for me. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. Let me ask you a question. So, uh, each year, the... um, You can look for it, too? (laughs) Each year, uh, in the springtime, our local Shoreline Pastors Group uh, sponsors uh, our local branch of the Day of Prayer. It's a national day of prayer every spring. Yeah, okay. And um, so every year they we we are involved in that, and usually a theme verse is picked and a theme to go with that uh, National Day of Prayer. Our missions uh, committee, we have our missions conference coming up in October, and every year a theme and a theme verse is picked to go on the program just to kind of direct our thinking. So if you were on a committee or you were asked to Come up with a theme verse or a passage of scripture for, uh, let's just say, uh, the churches in Puget Sound are getting together to have a national, uh, a special day of prayer for repentance, for a confession of sin and repentance and asking for God's forgiveness. Uh, what passage of scripture, or what verses might you think of, might come to your mind that you might want to put on the program? What scripture or verse might come to mind that would help you and help those involved to focus on repentance, confession of sin, and acknowledgement of God's wonderful salvation? 1 John 1.9. Can you quote it? Good. 1 John 1.9. All right, good. Thank you. What? He stole yours. Okay, nice. <laughs> Judy. Oh, yeah. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 relating to David's, the David's sin and his confession of God uh, about creating a pure heart within me. Yeah, very good. I thought of those two. Good. If my people who are called by my name, uh, the passage is one of the prophets. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, way in the back there, Donna. Your kindness leads me to repentance. Very good. Okay, let's hold that thought. All right? Can you hold that thought, Michael, for the next half hour or so? Or not quite half hour. Okay, let's hold that thought. And uh, let's, let's come back to that. Let's open our Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. And we are going to have a word of prayer before we launch into this chapter. Uh, together. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray for your 
guidance and direction. We pray that we would listen to your word again as we are reminded that all scripture is given for our uh, teaching, our learning, our admonition. And so as we follow that tradition, Lord, um, we look at this passage today and ask that you would teach us and that we would uh, draw close to you, walk with you, and be testimonies of your love and grace and mercy. We thank you for the songs we've sung together, the scripture, the worship. We continue to worship now with your word. Bless our children as they continue to worship together with their uh, leaders this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Jonah chapter 2, I'll just to, to, to quickly review from last week. Nathan, can you help me out? So the first slide, maybe you can just kind of darken a little bit up here too. Thanks, so I think the best way to just review last week, chapter 1, is just to remember the map. God, call, God calls Jonah. He says, arise and go to Nineveh, way over here on the right where the little X is over here at the very end of the map. Go to Nineveh and cry against it, proclaim against it, because their sin has come up before me. Nineveh is, becomes the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Israel's, at this point, arch enemy, really, their main enemy, they're a serious threat. They are a, a very terrorist people. They, the original terrorists, they, um, they are known for their brutality and their cruelty when they defeat their enemies. And it's a, it's a, it's a very looming threat. And God says, a prophet of Israel, go up there and, and proclaim against them. Of course, with the intent that they would, they would change their heart. And it says, rise, go to Nineveh. And we saw instead that Jonah arose and he went to Tarshish to the coast of Palestine and boarded a ship, and maybe even hired the ship, as I suggest the Hebrew might indicate, hired a ship, and was heading to Spain as far away as he could get. Tarshish, we think, was over that way, as far away as he could get from this end of the map to that end of the map. I think that's the best summary of chapter 1. And of course, you know what, we looked last week, and if you weren't here with us, I encourage you to take some time to read it. God sends or hurls a storm at the boat, the boat's about to break up and sink. Seasoned sailors are frightened. They draw lots and, and it comes to Jonah and say, what have you done? Why are you fleeing? And he tells him he's fleeing from his God. And they ask him to pray to his God. And instead of praying to his God, and instead of saying, okay, I'll, I'll go, he says, throw me in the sea. And of course, they don't want to do that because obviously this man's God is angry from their perspective. And they try harder, but eventually they throw him into the sea. And we saw at the very end of chapter 1 in our Bibles, it says, verse 17, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And I, I want to point out to you, in the, in the Hebrew Bible, in the, in the text, the extra Hebrew text, that is actually the beginning of chapter 2. That last verse there really is verse 1 of chapter 2. It's, and of course, that's our, that's our good transition point. God sends this fish. It doesn't say a whale. And it's, it's a large fish, and it swallows Jonah. This fish has been appointed by God. God sends the fish. He, he appoints it. It didn't say he created this fish. It just says he appointed this fish to be there at the right place, at the right time. God has complete control over this whole situation, and the fish swallows Jonah. What was it like? And we're going to read this section. And if you have a newer translation, anything, you'll notice, of course, that, you know, we're, we're dealing with a narrative prose here, chapter one and then chapter three and four. But chapter two is more poetic, like a psalm would be. 
If you see that in your text, it's more poetic like a psalm would be. And it's sometimes easy to kind of skip, just read it quickly and get on with the story. One of the commentators said, this, this section of Jonah may indeed be theologically, doctrinally, the most important part of this story of Jonah. But before we launch into it, we, what was it like? Now, last week, we, we, we looked at his, his journey. We even had some special effects, right? The lights going on and off and sound, sound going out and so on. And, um, but uh, what was it like inside that fish? Let me just stop for a minute and think about that. What was it like being swallowed by a large fish? Now, some, some pictures, you, Nathan, give me the next picture. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Nathan. Before we do that, real quickly, the, the lessons from last week. First one, God's ways are not always our ways. Second lesson, God is God of all the world, all the nations, even Nineveh. Everybody in the world. God is God of the entire world. He is the God of all history. He's the God of your history. He is a God of all the world. And the third thing, God provides grace and mercy. And we saw that last week in that these sailors, the storm that would have destroyed them, turns out to be their salvation. And the storm that should have destroyed Jonah, it turns out at the end of chapter 1 in our Bibles, the fish becomes the source of God's salvation for Jonah rather than drown. So what was it like? And so you can't see this too well, but if you can... This is not Pinocchio's story. This is not Geppetto. This, this is probably what it was not like inside the fish. He probably didn't have a place to hang up his clothes. He didn't have a light. He didn't have a chance to write, write his, what he's going to write and so forth. This is most definitely what it was not like inside the fish, I am sure. What it was probably like was more like this. I mean, think about it. Inside the fish, in the ocean. How terrifying. And yet, how safe. But what was it like inside this fish for three days and three nights? Now, in, in the Jewish reckoning, as we, as we know from different places in Scripture, it doesn't have to be three 24-hour periods. Any part of a day and a night is a day and a night in Jewish recognizing. But three days and three nights. And we'll talk more about this next week because, of course, this becomes a very important lesson for us for the New Testament. What was it like inside that fish? Whatever it was like, whatever it was like, chapter 2 is what Jonah comes up with while he's inside this fish. I think the best thing would be for us just to read it. Let's just read this. Verse 1 or verse 2 in the Hebrew Bible. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, and then we have this psalm, this poem, this prose, in my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me, all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. 
When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then we begin the narrative again. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Yes, that's the right word. It threw him up. <laughs> Maybe with everything else. <laughs> On to dry ground. Friends, speculating on what type of fish it was that could swallow this man and keep him alive is misguided. This is a miracle. It's a miracle. And it's any more than trying to figure out how Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead or any of the miracles that take place, the party in the Red Sea. It's a miracle. So trying to figure out and all the speculation as to what kind of fish and this and that, it was a large fish God sent at the right point of time in the right place. I wonder if Jonah ever even knew what kind of fish it was, right? I mean, read this. this he's going down to the deep, to the dark, and all of a sudden he's inside something. And then he's vomited up on the land. I mean, he's vomited up on the land. You know, did he turn around and wave at the fish? You know, thanks for the lift or what? You know, did he even see the fish ever? I mean, did he even know what it was? But while he's in this fish, this large fish, he creates this psalm. And I don't think you could say, well, no, he just wrote this later and then inserted it. First of all, who wrote the book of Jonah? Did Jonah write it? Or did someone else who heard his story wrote it, write it? Most of the prophets are in the first person. The Lord came to me and I did this and I did that. This, this is the third. You know, this is all about Jonah. We don't even know who wrote it, but it's the true story. I think the way we read this, and it's very interesting, the Hebrew verbs here, as some of the Hebrew scholars have pointed out, are both can be translated in the past tense and the present tense. And because of that, he is, he is, he is, this is a reflection back. But it also takes place during the story. It's, it's a very, I mean, you look at it and you'll see this back and forth. And we just read this entire thing. And, and you know, it begins in my distress. I called to the Lord and he answered me. That's the, that's the important theme. I called out in my absolute despair. And he answered me. And you, and you look at what he describes here. He describes what's happening. I mean, clearly, I mean, I don't, it seems pretty obvious to me. He's describing this horribly frightening situation of a man who is drowning and is going to die in the depths of the ocean. It's a storm. He's been thrown into the water. In this storm. He is going down. His life is leaving him. It's ebbing away. And he says, and he says from the depths of the grave and, and from the word, from Sheol, Sheol, it's a Hebrew word you probably heard is for the place of the dead. It, 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 in the Hebrew, it's in the Bible, it's used sort of in a large way. It can be the actual grave where one is buried, but it also is a little bit bigger idea of the place of the dead. And he says, and, and he says here in this verse, as we begins, he begins this psalm, in verse two, from the depths of Sheol, I called for help, 
and you listened to me. And notice what he says here in verse 3. You hurled me into the deep. This Everything about this, and he knows this, is, is by God's hands. God, he, you've hurled me into the deep. You left me no option. I was thrown in by these men, and you hurled me into the hearts of the sea. And then he begins to describe the, the waves and the breakers sweeping over me. And then he says in verse 4, I've been banished from your sight. I've been, I, I have no hope. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeless. I will never see you again. I've been banished from your sight. But, in verse 4, I will look again to your holy temple. I suggested to you last week that, now what do we have up here on the screen right now? Let's just stop for a minute and I'll, and I'll tell you. As you read through this, you will see this huge similarity between this psalm, this poem, and the psalms. I put just a few of these. If you read that psalm, look at, look at some of the psalms. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Psalm 42. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The flood engulfs me. Psalm 69. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called for help. Psalm 31. Next one, Nathan. I will bow down to your holy temple and I will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. We can just leave that one up there. And some of the authors in my, in my Jewish um, Publication Society Bible, they have a whole list of psalms that almost every part of this poem that, that he writes is taken from the psalms. And he sort, of a, he sort of puts this together from these thoughts from the psalms that describe both someone who is, who is being, who is dying, who is drowning, who's being engulfed by the waters, who's going down to Sheol, but it's back and forth. And he says, but yet at the same time, I'll look to your holy temple. I suggested last week he may have received his call to go to Nineveh in the temple because he fled from the presence of the Lord, which could indicate the temple itself, possibly. But he says, I will look again to your temple. I've been banished from your sight. Verse 5, again, we go back to the waters threatening me, the deep surround, seaweeds wrapped around my neck. He's struggling. He's going down. He knows he's going to die. He's going down to the roots of the mountains. But, verse 6, we go back. You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. And then verse 7, the same thing. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And there's this back and forth from this man who, frankly, deserves to die. He's the only prophet who has completely disobeyed God and says, no, I'm not going. Find someone else to do this. Here's a man who, when the, the pagan sailor said, pray to your God, he didn't pray to his God. He just said, throw me in the water. I'm not going. And he's a, and, and he is he is completely rejected what God has called him to do in his office as a as a as a prophet. And yet, in this experience, and when he's inside the belly of the fish, he says, "It's from this in this place is where I called out to God and I and I prayed this prayer." And so he's in the belly of the fish, and these are the thoughts that come to him. He remembers what you see. It kind of goes back. He remembers what was happening to him and he prayed this in the fish. Here's a man who is dying. Sheol has surrounded him. He calls out to God, someone not deserving God's help. He uses words of birth and birthing. When he says, I was bound up in a tight place, 
He talks about this is the same word that would be used for being bound up in the womb in the Hebrew Bible. And then he talks about being in the, in the belly or the womb of Sheol. He uses this kind of poetic language. But he anticipates. Remember, he's, this is what he prays from the belly of the fish. And he anticipates he is going to be saved. Right? I mean, he, 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 he records this later evidently and remembers what he said. But he anticipates he, he's going to be saved. He is still in the fish. He is still in the water. And he anticipates that God is going to save him and, and, and somehow redeem his life. He looks back to the temple. The poem comes in these different stanzas. And in the third one, he looks back to the temple and regrets his failure to obey. Suddenly he becomes pious. This man who refused to pray when the pagan said, pray to your God, all of a sudden now he prays to his God. At some point, he must realize he is safe. And he is not going to die, even though he was as close to death as possibly could be. And that's why I don't think this idea that they threw him in the water and there the fish was waiting to grab him. I think the fish, at the very last possible second, swallows him. And he's inside the belly of the fish. And he, and he puts together this amazing prayer. Friends, listen. The power of God's Word. These are all from the Psalms. And he creates his own psalm. He puts it together. And he remembers it. And at some point writes it down. And it's an important part of his story. That God responds and saves. Written in both the past and the present. Friends, Jonah deserves death not deliverance. Salvation is God's to give, even to Nineveh and even to Jonah. Jonah finishes his downward spile. He goes down to Nineveh. He goes down into the hold of the ship and falls fast asleep. He is thrown down into the ocean and goes as far as he can possibly go at the last second before God rescues him and begins the upward trend of bringing him back to where he will go and do what God has told him to do. Jonah has hit bottom, but he is coming up. And he looks to God in this desperate situation. And the very last, the very last part of the poem here, verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols. I don't know, is he thinking of those, those sailors that, that, that were on the ship who were praying to their gods. They forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, Jonah, right? I'm not going, God. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And that last phrase is right out of the Psalms. Salvation comes from the Lord. I will, I've made a vow. I vowed I will go. I don't think he made a deal with God. He just said, God, you have saved me. I will go and I will do what you have told me to do because you are the one who brings salvation. And verse 10, the Lord is in charge of this entire thing, right? God commands the fish, 
It's time to vomit. He throws up Jonah, and Jonah ends up on the shore, probably where he started from, I imagine, maybe from Joppa, and he's back on the shore. And we have another transition. We'll look at this next week, but chapter 3, verse 1, we'll transition this next week. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, exactly like the first time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. This prophet, who's the only one who obeyed, disobeyed, sorry, the only one who disobeyed, the one who's Prophecy is the shortest in the Bible, and he's the only successful prophet. <laughs> go to Nineveh. Second time, go to Nineveh. And you, I'm sure, know maybe how it ends up. He goes to Nineveh. As we prepare next week to consider a very important chapter in the Bible and how it connects to the New Testament, very important chapter. I want you to think a little bit in preparation. These sailors, do you think that these sailors, when they went back to land, okay, guys, we are never going to talk about this. No, these are a very religious people, a very superstitious people. They have seen, they have seen a miracle. They have seen, they, they have seen when they should have gone down and when they threw the prophet of this God Yahweh into the water, all of a sudden it stopped, just like the miracle when Jesus was on the water and, the, and it stopped. This was a prophet of God. These, these people were not, these were not unknown people. People knew about the prophets. And these men probably had gone back to shore, and I'll bet the story spread like wildfire. You, what we saw, the miracle we saw, Jonah is dead. Is there any doubt? Could they have any doubt? Could anyone on that boat have had any doubt that Jonah was dead? Right? Do you agree or not? Okay, good. Thank you. Now all of a sudden, here's Jonah. Jonah. There's Jonah. But we'll pick that up next week. Listen, a couple lessons for today. Jonah chapter 2. Knowing God's word will always help. In the belly of the fish, he creates this beautiful psalm, this poem. But it's taken right out of the psalms. He, like the Jews, they, this was an oral tradition. They memorized this. This was their hymn book. The, psalm was, the psalms have been their hymn book for centuries, millennium. We sang today, the thank you for doing that was and, and helping us. That was fun doing that. You were right. That was, that was fun to do and sing, sing those parts. And, you know, the, the, the words that we sing that are from Scripture, the Scriptures we memorize. Friends, don't ever, don't ever um, uh, speak negatively about memorizing Scripture. Say, well, rote memory, it doesn't mean anything. Yes, it means, yeah, you know what? I'll just tell you, I see this all all the time. When, when I visit with people in very distressful situations, and, and if I were to begin to, to read the Scriptures, 
that I go to that are, that are the ones you would normally go to as, as a pastor, what happens? The people usually say it with you. What are you thinking when you're in situations where you really need the Lord's help? What comes into your mind? It's the scriptures you have learned, the songs that reflect those scriptures that you have learned, that they, they stay with you. It's, it's why advertisers use jingles, right, and music, because it stays with you. And friends, here's a lesson. Here's a man who somehow in the belly of this fish, in this unbelievable situation, finds himself alive by a miracle. I'm assuming in the blackness and darkness and everything else that goes on in the belly of the fish. (laughs) And he reflects on God's word. And he creates this beautiful psalm that I think is pieced together from God's word. And listen, friends, God's word will always help us. It will always help us. And it's why we remember it and 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 we go to it. Secondly, repentance is always an option. He repents. Jonah repents. And he, and he goes back in his mind to the temple. And I think he goes back there physically to pay his vow. He repents. Repentance is a simple word. and You've probably heard this. It, seems, it means to turn around. And, and, and that's why when we talk about repentance today, well, what does it mean? When a, when a person who is not a believer... They change their mind. Gary talked to us about God's grace and, and mercy. We sang about this today. And when a person embraces this, they change their mind about it. Before not believing it, they repentance means to turn from one way and turn the other. You change your mind. For believers as Christians, you know, when we confess our sins, and, and this is not about salvation every time we go to God and say, Lord, you know, I acknowledge my faults before you. This is not about God saving us and losing our salvation, saving us and losing our salvation. It has to do with our relationship as a father with a child. You know, I, I will always be my, I was always my mother's son, no matter what. And my father's son, no matter what, I couldn't change that. My kids will always be my kids and their kids will be their kids. It's our relationship. And so there is a place, friends, it's always an option. Always, you never run out of the opportunity while you are breathing. It's always an option. And we worship of God of new beginnings and second chances. Third, God is all present always. Talked about that last week. You can run, but you can't hide. I mean, if there was ever a man who physically was away from the presence of God. I mean, could you get any further away than the, than the bottom of the ocean than in the belly of a fish? And God is there. God is there. God is all present, always. It's the word omnipresent we use in theology. He is always all present. I think about this sometimes. Not as often as I should, but sometimes I think when, I, when I'm praying to God, when I am praying to God, and I feel like it's just me and God. At the same time, how many millions of other people are all praying to God and feeling exactly the same? Right? He is all present, always, and all knowing. What an amazing God. And Jonah comes to this realization. These Psalms come back. He puts this together. 
he vows to God, and he's, he's going to do this. He is going to go to Nineveh. And friends, this is a horrible call from his perspective. It is a no-win situation. If they reject him and, and terrorize him and kill him, or if they accept his message and change, to him it's a no-win situation, but he's going to go. God is all present always. Bruckner says, theologian, theologically, this is probably the most important part of the book of Jonah, this psalm of despair, of crying out, and God's mercy and grace. Now, I ask you, as we close today, to think about a passage of Scripture and I appreciate your responses. Maybe some of the rest of you thought of something that you would put on the bulletin for maybe a day of prayer of confession, repentance, and God's mercy. In the Jewish calendar, in the Hebrew, we studied this in our class uh, this last spring and early summer, the feast days of Israel. The holiest day is the Day of Atonement. Day, Yom Kippur. Atonement covering. Holiest day is Yom Kippur, where you gather, and today the Jews, as they are called to in the Bible, will fast. I mentioned to you before our first trip to Israel, we happened to be at the Wailing Wall on Yom Kippur. It was pretty interesting. It's a day of quietness, of fasting, and repentance. It's a day of repentance. Because this is the day that the sacrifice is made annually, once a year, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies. It's a dreadful day, but it's a wonderful day because it's a day of atonement. It's a solemn day. And on this particular day, there are two synagogue services because it's a day set aside for God. As the day comes toward a close, it's 6 o'clock. It goes from 6 o'clock to 6 o'clock. In the afternoon, when you gather for the afternoon, for the last service of the day, and there are readings from the Torah and the Haftorah. The Haftorah is from the prophets, the Nevim. And you read from the Torah, the five books of Moses, and then you read from the prophets. As you come to the afternoon, part of the service, you're almost finished, the day is almost done, the fast is almost over, there will be a few recitations of scripture at the very end, short ones. But the Haftorah, the reading on the last part of the Day of Atonement, guess what they read? The Book of Jonah. The Book of Jonah is read at the end of the Yom Kippur service, the whole book is read as the half Torah reading. And then there are some closing scriptures and the day is over. Why the book of Jonah? All the Old Testament scriptures, why the book of Jonah? Is it because Nineveh repents? I'm sorry, I gave away the story. I'm sure that's part of it. 
But I think a significant part is because of chapter 2. If this isn't the story of a person who does not deserve God's mercy, who is at the actual end of their rope, if you will, the end of their life, and cries out to God, then God is there. And He saves him. And He gives him another chance. If this isn't a story of repentance, forgiveness, and God's grace and mercy, there is none other. And this is why I believe it's read on Yom Kippur as a half Torah reading before the day ends. What a wonderful God. Friends, it's worth knowing God's Word. It's why we preach it from this pulpit and why we make this our main objective here of preaching God's Word in our worship songs, in the Scriptures, and all that we do. It's why we learn it. Because it will, it will help you. It will help you. And go to it. And remember, we worship a God of new beginnings. You. You. New beginnings in me. New beginnings. And thankfully, aren't you glad? What a horrible thing it would be if I could actually get away from God's presence for one day and be on my own. What a horrible thing that would be. That our God is all present all the time and loves us so dearly. Let's close our service with our last song. You going to teach us another song, Faith? Oh, we know this one. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. All the people that come and lead worship, thank you so much for what you do to help us with this. Would you please stand? We will sing together, Be Still, My Soul. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Safe and blessed at last. Heavenly Father, you are such a good God. You've been so good to us. Your love is new every morning. Your faithfulness is new every day. We thank you, Lord, for your word, for your presence, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for friends and family and those we can gather with to worship together and share this joy together. We pray, Lord, if there be one here today who does not know your salvation and has not received your forgiveness for sins, that they would acknowledge that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins because you've chosen to love us. And he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death and they can receive eternal life and forgiveness for sins. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God of new beginnings. This is the first day of the week. We gather this day because it's resurrection day, the first day of the week, and we leave this place with the joy of the Lord in our hearts. We look to you for our strength, for your presence. And again, we thank you humbly humbly for your love and compassion to us. We leave this place now. In Christ our Savior's name we go. Amen.